Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 15 in Year A. We're starting a new series today called The Church God Wants. You can read about it more in the Foundation Resources where you'll find short summaries of the series and each Sunday within the series. You can use those however you wish for your congregation. A quick summary, if you ask people, what do you want in a church? You'll get a variety of responses touching on things like location and style and programs and, of course, many other criteria that that people use. But what does God want in a church? What is important to him? That's what we'll be exploring in this series as we listen to the scripture readings in Propers 15 through 19 in year A. And one of the readings each week will be suggested as a sermon text, and that's what our focus will be on the podcast. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and I have the privilege of of moderating these. Our preachers for this series, let's meet them. Pastor Daniel Bondo from Living Savior Lutheran Church in Littleton, Colorado, and Pastor Jeremy Belter from Shepherd of the Valley Lutheran Church, the Candelis campus in Arvada, Colorado. And also with us today is Professor Alan Sorum from the seminary. So good to be here with you all today. Thanks for serving in this way. Uh, Jeremy Belter, let's start with you. We're talking about proper 15 in year A today as we begin the series, The Church God Wants. Uh, Share a few thoughts, if you would, about this week's theme in the series. Thanks. Yeah, um, I I think even before you, it's really important to understand, I think, or just maybe have a better grasp of what Jesus is um, trying to teach his disciples and us in this section um, go back to chapter 14, read the section Jesus walks on no, with um, Jesus and Peter walking on the water. And then you get the very beginning of chapter 15. Um, the disciples are, are a little upset because the Pharisees are offended and oh, we, we're not following their laws. And then you get to chapter 15 and Jesus leaves Israel and he heads out to the, the region of Tyre and Sidon. And the, the theme is a, a church for all people. And so in this section, it's, it's, you're going to, you're going to start to grapple with the, with culture, right? And, and what is it that when, when God says, you know, a church for all people, what does that mean? Uh, you know, Jesus is going to touch on the, the, um, the ethnic culture that's going on there. You're going to have the, the Israelites and the Canaanite woman there. Jesus is leaving Israel, going into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so for Bible history students, that's uh, Jezebel territory. Um, think of Canaanites, and that's um, Old Testament. Joshua, we're going to get rid of the Canaanites, and so now you've got this ethnic clash there. But you also have the re- the um, the cultural context and understanding of those who do it right, who are supposed to right the Israelites or the Pharisees. We have the law of God. We have his his covenants and his ceremonies, versus those dogs um, who don't have that. And maybe don't you know live as what we would call a, a wonderful upright life, and you've got those two things clashing as well. And how Jesus is going to wade through all of that and say, "Here is what here's the church that for all a church for all people." This is what God means when when He says that. So, okay, yeah, thanks for that summary, uh, Daniel. Could you uh, summarize for us the first and second readings uh, that go with the gospel that we will be discussing as our sermon text. Um, Just remind us of what those uh, other two readings are and maybe point out um, some areas of connection between them and the gospel. 
Absolutely. Thanks. Uh, our first reading is from Isaiah chapter 56, and it's sort of like the icing on the cake that goes with the cake of chapter 55. And just as we've introduced this idea of like having different ethnicities or nations uh, as part of a topic for today. So we have the word foreigner here and chapter 55, like the cake is you have this great grand gospel invitation from God, you who are thirsty come, right? And now in 56, this beautiful icing on it is to describe the inclusion of the foreigner. So this is Old Testament language keying off of the distinction between Jew and Gentile or Jew and all the others, all the foreigners, and yet doing so in a way that sort of uh, glides over the top and surpasses and transcends those national distinctions with something that it keys in on by saying, look at this, you foreigners who do this. And, it, and, I, and Isaiah, well, God through Isaiah is giving some key markers of a person, any person, and their characteristics or qualities that they would do by faith. So he mentions these people who are keeping the Sabbath and they're in the covenant and they love the name of the Lord. They want to serve him and worship him. But beyond that, uh, the culminating factor is what the status and the glorious service that God ascribes to these people, that they're going to be a part of my house. They're pleasing to me. Their sacrifices are pleasing to me. And um, we have this ringing phrase that we know and love, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. So that's really beautiful in the first reading. The second reading is much like it in Ephesians chapter 2. We know that the Apostle Paul is addressing a church of a mixture of Jew and Gentile, but especially communicating to the Gentiles, who again are these Old Testament terms considered the foreigners, um, but he wants them to understand they're as much insiders as anybody else. And the deep dive that the Apostle Paul takes to explain to them is to sort of separate time into the era of the Old Testament, where God made a distinction among peoples. He called Abraham, he made a nation, and at Mount Sinai, they entered into something special with the giving of the law, and they were separated. So now you've got a barrier, a God-given barrier among the peoples of the world, separating Jew from all the rest. But Paul makes a clear point to say, when Christ has come, you sort of see this split among humanity um, harmonized or union, uni, unionized again, brought together in this convergence at the cross. Jesus has taken that law. He has satisfied it. He's destroyed this barrier where you could say, you're that and I'm not that. He's gotten rid of these distinctions among peoples. We are all under Christ, not under a law anymore. So it's a beautiful way to bring everybody into this one new humanity at the cross, whether you're a believer or not, but then also for Paul to look at a believer in the eye in Ephesus who's a Gentile and to say, you're not a stranger, you're a fellow citizen. The Christ did this for you, and in Christ there's one humanity. You are as much an insider again, as I said before, as anybody else is. So that's the clear comfort given to the Gentiles and this sort of oneness that Paul is working in the hearts of the congregation for them all to live and operate as the body of Christ together.
So this ties well with our gospel because you you have Canaanite, you have disciples, you have you know this kind of mixed crowd ethnically, and yet at the same time you crumbs fall to the floor for the beggar, and uh, mm-hmm. Jesus has bread for all and the forgiveness of sins. Right. Yeah. I I almost picture it as um, you've got the Isaiah reading, the Ephesians reading, and the gospel that we'll be talking about. I mean, the ministry of Jesus is sort of this inflection point between the two in some ways. Um, But let's, I'll let Alan uh, address that a little bit more. Uh, Alan Sorum, could we get into our sermon text a little bit? Um, Matthew uh, 15, 21 through 28. Um, I'll just kind of turn it over to you and and highlight whatever points you would like to. Thank you very much, John. Uh, First of all, let me establish where we are in the Gospel of Matthew in this particular text. In the first half of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew has established Jesus as the Emmanuel promised in the Old Testament. He's, He's the real deal. And Matthew has shown Jesus to be presenting his kingdom uh, to his community, establishing a new community, illustrating the benefits of his kingdom by helping people, healing people, driving demons out of people. And in that first half, uh, Matthew shows us how people are responding. Now here, uh, beginning in the second half, let's say chapter 14 going forward, the, the thing we see in chapters 14 to 20, just an overview, you have two groups really struggling with properly identifying Jesus. Their expectations of Jesus are not correct. And that's the corrupt church of Jesus' day, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. They, they just don't get who Jesus is, nor do the disciples. So it's very clear that these two groups are just really struggling with who Jesus is. That backdrop is really uh, interesting when you see this text in chapter 15. Here comes this Canaanite, this outsider who really has absolutely no reason to get it. (laughs) She's she's an outsider. Um, And she expresses that right away. Now, just uh, as I walk through this text really, really quickly to uh, present just some oversights. So if we look at the text right away, this this uh, this the nature of this outsider is brought out immediately when the text says that that Jesus ventured into the region of Tyre and Sidon. And because that's not a Gentile region, it's a Canaanite region. It's not at all surprising that Jesus would bump into a Canaanite. Uh, and that's an important backdrop because the it, it seems like Jesus is being rude to this Canaanite when in fact he's not being rude. He's just going through a bit of a challenge. He's challenging her a little bit, helping her think a little bit more clearly about uh, who he is, what that her expectation of Jesus isn't exact, right, exactly correct. He's, he's not merely Lord, son of David but he is more precisely just pure Lord of all. And the fact that he's there in Tyre and Sidon uh, is is even a demonstration of that. Um, Something perhaps interesting, uh, verse 22, the Kai Idu, and behold, and look, there was this uh, uh, Canaanite woman from the region. For for whatever reason, Matthew likes that Kai Idu. I just took a quick count 
I uh, counted over 60 times Matthew uses it do or has Jesus use it do. It seems to be something of a, just to keep the narrative moves, moving along, some kind of marker. Like here's, here's an interesting thing that's about to happen. There's this, there's this Canaanite woman who keeps on crying out. Uh, of course, the ekkredzen is uh, imperfect. It's not just yelling loud. It's like yelling very loud. It's screeching. And she's, she's yelling very loud from behind Jesus, Lord, Son of David. My daughter is kakos uh, demon-possessed. She's severely demon-possessed. That's an interesting tidbit. And then Jesus, the, the, in verse 23, I think the, ans- the, the next verse is really interesting. And he answers to her not a word. He does not answer to her a word. Uh, kind of interesting, a, a, a pretty strong test. And the disciples now, they, they approach Jesus and they, they're asking him, can you send her away because she keeps crying out after us? So clearly she's behind. Uh, they say she's behind us, uh, up a son. She's crying out after us. And Jesus says some, he says um, that I wasn't sent except to the sheep, the lost ones of Israel. There's a couple of interesting theological passives in here. I I think we have to struggle a wee little bit with that. I wasn't sent. You know, for example, the question is, why is why is Jesus bringing his father into this? Uh, situation where you have this outsider, this Canaanite woman coming to him for mercy, coming to participate, to get the benefit of being in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I wasn't sent. That is the father didn't send me except to these lost sheep. So another pretty aggressive test to this, to this woman's faith. So now the woman approaches and press she prostrates herself in front of Jesus. So now the, the words help you see what's going on here. She moves from behind the disciples, behind Jesus. She more or less blocks Jesus' way. She throws herself face down in the path in front of Jesus. So there's a possibility that, that you know, this prostate, uh, prostrating herself, uh, she was actually perhaps touching his feet or kissing his feet. And now listen to her second uh, response, or the next thing she says to Jesus is, Kyrie, Lord, help me. Um, suggesting there's, uh, there's real some movement in her understanding of who Jesus is or what, whom she wants Jesus to be. She wants Jesus to help her. And so she's, uh, she's calling him, Lord, help me. And now he responds. Now Jesus does respond to her with these words, pretty, pretty incredible words. It's not, it's not good to take the bread of the children and throw it to their little dogs, their house dogs, their puppy dogs. And she says, yes, Lord. And then get this, Kaigar. Yes, Lord. In fact, the little puppy dogs, they eat from the little crumbs the tiny little crumbs that are falling off the table of their masters. So here's this outsider, this Canaanite woman, 
remember this text is bracketed by a corrupt church that refuses to understand who Jesus is, uh, bracketed by stories of the disciples who just can't seem to get who Jesus is. This outsider says, Lord, help me. In fact, as an outsider, we outsiders can expect even little crumbs to fall from the table of our masters. And here's what Jesus says, O woman, great of you, the faith. See how he front front loads that Megale, great of you, the faith. And then he says, may it be to you as you wish. And the daughter was healed. Another theological passive, passive. Obviously, Jesus healed her daughter from that hour. So I think the, the really remarkable, fun thing about this text is its setting. Here is this woman who's resilient, won't give up, won't let go of Jesus, grabs a hold of his ankles until she gets the blessing she believes that she will receive ultimately from her Lord Jesus Christ. And she is not someone we would expect uh, to to get it, right, and to be praised by Jesus. Um, And that's part of the the narrative here too, right, and the the contrast you you guys have been drawing out. Um, Well, uh, let's talk about this a little then. Um, As far as preaching this text, what do you... uh, what do you do with this narrative um, in terms of finding a malady or a sin problem? Um, how do you address it, or what did do you uh, point out as you are proclaiming this text? Um, Daniel, Jeremy, some ideas there where you would go with this. Jeremy, um, yeah, I would. I I think about this text. Um, I'm trying to put myself in the, in the shoes of the woman and also in the shoes of the disciples. Cause I think they both um, maybe take you in a little bit different direction as far as, as the sermon is concerned. You know, if I put myself in the, in the shoes of the woman, I, I think to myself from a law perspective, do I crave Jesus like she does? Um, how, how quickly do we, or maybe the, you know, the people that, you know, God, the sheep that God has given us to shepherd, like, nothing has happened pastor. What, why does God not listen to me? Why does God not care? This, this woman is in, I mean, you know, we, you could just be nice to me, I guess, maybe nice about it. Jesus insults her. I mean, he, offensive. He called me a dog. Right. And yet, and, and, or he doesn't talk to her. He doesn't acknowledge her. When, when she does say something, he talks to his disciples. He doesn't look at her. And yet every impediment, every roadblock that Jesus puts, seems to put in her way, she just goes right around it in faith because she knows who that really is. That's the Lord. That's the son of David. He mercies, he helps. Um, do I, as an individual, do, do I crave Jesus like that? Do I crave his mercy? Even if he's just going to drop little, cr- the little crumbs fall off the table. That's fine. I'm good. And, and, and she owns, you know, in, in defense of, uh, you know, to, to walk that back step too. When Jesus calls her a dog, she doesn't like, Oh, I'm offended that you would do that. She, she owns that. But at the same time, like I, I come to Jesus craving what he has. And, and yes, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve anything from you, but it, it, the crumbs will fall. I'll take the crumbs. And, and so just grappling with that from the, from the woman's perspective, craving Christ and, you know, mercy me, Jesus. And that, that really is our, that's our heartbeat as Christians. The gospel is not something that you get at the, you know, the first lesson of, of Bible information class. And then we never talk about the gospel again. It's not something you graduate from. This is your relationship with Christ. 
always coming to him, craving his mercy. Yeah. So the, the contrast between the woman and the, the craving of Jesus' mercy, the uh, persistence there, contrast between her and, and, and us sometimes. Uh, Daniel, some thoughts. Now, maybe to couch those in slightly different terms, you've got um, with the, the Canaanite woman being such a treasured like example of this uh, fallenness, beggarly, humble aspect on my knees before Jesus approach that we could serve to emulate. It may be helpful to, uh, based on the context people have brought up before, in Matthew's gospel and kind of the topics that are really on the table for discipleship of all people to recognize that we have a, we have a growing in grace to do as people of God. And there's a, there's a way for us to be assimilated to her rather than feeling like she, the different one, the outsider, the foreigner is supposed to be assimilated to us. There's a real heart issue going on um, that Jeremy, you know, identified there. And the other flip side of that, of course, would be this temptation towards some other type of version of me, something that's you know, standing on the shoulders of my own righteousness, standing on something false, that is a improper pride and uh, focal point of superiority or elevation in my head. So you, you kind of have these twin things we get used to talking about at point, and this is probably a good sermon to just point blank do it and say, there's two ditches for your discipleship with Jesus, you know, and um, we see the one in the Pharisee, um, especially leading up to this, as Jesus is pushing his disciples, say, they're blind, get away, get away, get away. They are blind guides in the, you know, in the chapter, uh, in the section before this. But also to see, like, not only, not only that as a lie, but it would be a lie for us to be the lowly Canaanite in our own eyes without knowing there were crumbs for me. And that demand, that great um, promise of the gospel that is mine, these are the things that help us get out of the ditches of despair and, and pride. Right, right. Yeah, that's that can be a helpful way to think through, uh, yeah, those two poles, the, the pride and despair that we see here and in the preceding context. Uh, Jeremy? I think we just add on to what Daniel said, you know, keeping in mind the, the, um, the theme, church for all people. Um, then put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. You know, they, they don't see, they don't know, know Jesus, right? You know, this is, he came for all, right? I mean, this is the, these are the people for whom Jesus came, including, and, and so then do we today, you know, somebody would walk in off the street, you know, and you think of the various, you know, our preachers across our synod and different cultural contexts that they are, uh, they're in, whether that's, you know, an ethnic or a religious or, or whatever that cultural thing would be. Do I look at, people that come in and say, this is a church for that person too. This is a church for that person. And not to, not, we're not excusing sins or anything like that, but to say like somebody walk, this is the place where that person needs to be right here mm-hmm. at Jesus feet, hearing Jesus, just like I need to be right at his feet and, and no superiority of like, well, we've arrived or, or chosen or anything like that, you know, any outward marker that we might set up like you know the pharisees or jesus disciples or anything like that but know that we're all in need of jesus mercy and, and that person including me this person 
needs that mercy desperately. Yeah. So identifying with Jesus' disciples and their faulty attitudes here could be useful. Uh, to that, uh, Daniel. Yeah, just to uh, you know clarify something, we almost like as human nature, we identify differences among people, and those different like traits or characteristics often translate into different treatment of those people. And so, so it's like on the one hand, we can recognize people are different, culture is different, the stuff you share, what makes you feel comfortable and at home versus like uncomfortable and not at home, that can all like vary and it's not necessarily sinful. But once you get to the point of doing something like spiritually with it in yourself, you know, your relationship with God, this like self-talk, like identity formation, uh, all of these things wither away. We are under the we are under the word of God. We are held and gripped by the word of God alone. And this, this text really presses that home. Like there's no other language. There's no other labels. There's no other identifiers or characteristics we, we care about here, except for the ones that God calls our attention to. And those are, those are sin and grace, right? So we get back to some clear basics and less muddied water and our treatment will then follow. Zeroing in on the, the things that matter the most, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, how about gospel emphases? Um, what do you point out? What uh, things particular to the, this text give you a way to present the gospel or what facets of the gospel kind of jump out at you that you want to share with your listeners from this text? Uh, Alan? Yeah. I think the, the way Matthew sets it up really shows the universal nature of Jesus' objective. You know, he goes out of his way time and time again to get to the other, to get to the marginalized, to get to the, the outsider, not just the people of the Jew, the Jewish, the lost, the lost sheep of Israel. And uh, just the, the, what his, the incredible personal attention, the very in, personal approach he goes out of his way to track this particular woman down to minister to her and he ministers to her in a very personal way we live in a time now where we are just uh, distracted by group politics and, and and if anyone in that group ventures out of the group then they're like hammered down by our uh, the current weird uh, components of our of our operating worldview. But the antidote to the group politics is Jesus' universal love delivered personally. And, and I it just so clearly presented here. Jesus' universal love delivered personally. Great. Uh, Daniel. And to piggyback off of that, not just the personal nature of it, but I think one of the things every preacher and studier of this um, text is going to think about is like, I can't believe Jesus is saying those words, right? It's like surprise phrase, like I'm not sent except, and it's not right. You know, it's so, um, he's such a separation. It's like he's, he's out of character, but he's doing it on purpose, right? But when you, if you were to look at this whole story, and in a celebration of the gospel, I'm going to get to the point, um, you see how this end result, like how would I best be able to appreciate the God-given faith 
that this Canaanite operates with. Jesus' behaviors and line of questioning may seem like out of character or even unsafe or almost wrong or absurd to us, but by using the language of the times and the labels of those times, we're able to see what she actually stands on and demands from God in according to his word, that she's standing on, on grace and crumbs and undeserved, but yet for me. And the whole process highlights not just the personal care, but just this, I, I guess, the the unusual way Jesus is so excited to highlight her faith and to turn this into something he can call great when you didn't see that label coming. It's this, as a professor Sora mentioned before, it was this label um, great suddenly jumps off the paper after you've been down this road of like, she's the last person I'd expect in the door in front of Jesus. This, this Canaanite, she's begging, she's on her knees. And after everything that Jesus says, you'd think she'd pack up her bags and she'd go the long trek back home. But instead, what happens? Great, great. This is it. This is it. So mm -hmm. it's a beautiful gospel. Just see the smile on Jesus' face. The every last person, the person last in line would be ushered up to the front, right? The person not given a seat at the house would be given the seat at the head of the table and he's partying. Do you see the celebration? So that's a beautiful gospel statement of where Jesus parties at. And uh, I, I think you can't, you can't beat that. Yeah. Beautiful. The, the joy that Jesus has and um, that comes out of that Megale, right? Um Jeremy, I'll just and then as you go through that, I think even seeing the, the this woman who you know somewhere along the line has heard of Christ, she has heard what he's done in Israel, and and now he's here, and and to to keep that who Jesus is, I mean that simple Bible song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This is who Jesus is. This is who this the Messiah is, and so anytime he he might say something. You know, I've only sent. I've only been sent to the lost sheep of Israel. You know, she can say to herself, "But you're you're not in Israel. You're here, and and I'm here, and 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 you came here, and so you're here for me." And and then you know that the line, it's not right to take the children's bread, give the dogs, but but I, but you have crumbs. Crumbs fall off the table, and I'll take that. Every moment, every everything that Jesus says is really holding out to her, his greatness, his love, his mercy for her, and she. She sifts through everything to, to see that and to, her faith keeps grabbing onto this goodness that Jesus is holding out to her, that he is right there. And he is in, he's here for me right now. And, and that's why. And, and so the faith just gets rid of all that other clutter and stuff and just focuses on that, you know, who, on who this is and, and what he has come to do. Right. Um, yeah. The, the fact that Jesus would travel up to this area um, where, you know, uh, he knew this woman would be, or knew that people like her would be. Um, yeah, that's a, just reveals his grace to us. Right. It reminds me of the Samaritan woman account in a lot of ways. Um, you know, Jesus didn't have to go there, but, you know, through his grace, he did have to go there. Um, it always reaching out, um, always, uh, inclusive in his love. Um, how about, uh, just, uh, how do you apply this text then to the people to whom you are preaching um, or what applications do you draw out and uh, put before them? Some ideas there for, for preachers. We probably touched on a couple already, but uh, Daniel. 
think some of this application has to be in the way we are reacquainted with the gospel itself. And the, the whole overarching theme for this series in the church God wants helps you to stay in that lane, so to speak, where we are getting reacquainted. Uh, people get used to identifying things they might want in a church, we're saying, right, or my desires and my wishes. But now to to say, oh, yeah, uh, you know, take take all this stuff that I thought was mine and belongs to me, and this is my church, and I'm comfortable here and strip it raw, right? Take it all away, strip it all off, and now highlight something in the church God wants, the heart and core, kind of back to the way Jeremy expressed our, our malady before, and really the joy of the gospel, to say, um, every, any hesitation that I belong here, or the only way I would want to think of my belonging here, is that it's by grace and in Christ. And that would be a solid thing for me. And that would be the only thing for me as I operate in the church, that what a gift it is. And some of that application is directly tied to our worship, right? I don't think you can't go wrong bringing up a Lord have mercy a plea from a Canaanite woman and the very words that are on our lips on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. And then how does the story end? You know, who's celebrating how happy is she delighted to know that those crumbs were more than sufficient her daughter was healed um when it begins with this utter terrible need just like i did just like i did coming to church utter terrible need have mercy on me and yet i go home with my daughter healed and jesus saying i have great faith the blessing of god the blessing of the lord as we go out the doors there's some beautiful parallel and application for the way we see what is this place and what does god want here happening in our hearts that it's a house of prayer for all people now Good thoughts. Yeah. So the things that happen um, when we're gathered together uh, reinforce that our orientation to God is based on his mercy. Um, there are all these other factors too, of course, but it's really the need for his mercy and that he freely grants it, abundantly grants it. Um, yeah, it's good thought, a good application when you talk about the church God wants. Uh, Alan. Yeah, just real quick, you know, uh, People deal with so much shame. Satan manipulates people who bear shame. And it's just so clear here that there's, for Jesus, there's no such thing as an outsider. There's no such thing as a person crippled by shame. His whole objective, the whole beautiful thing of the kingdom of God is, uh, let me deliver you of your shame. So I think that's a, oh, a very human con connection with this, mm -hmm. this gospel mm -hmm. message. Mm-hmm. Great, Jeremy. Um, and, and to maybe to add add to that, um, good thought is this: this woman is coming to Jesus on behalf of her demon possessed daughter. We don't know the backstory, but why do you get demon possessed? What are you What are you into that this that she is now demon possessed? And yet this woman, and 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 it's interesting her language. Lord, help my. It's not. One after another, after another, Lord, help my daughter, help my daughter, help my daughter. It's have mercy on me and then help me. And, and so there's this, this interesting um, um, aspect to this, this text. Okay. A, a church for all people. This woman is, is, you know, seeing Jesus salvation for her. And yet, and yet at the same time, she's taken her daughter's 
horrible burden upon herself coming to Jesus, Lord, help me. That the, her, her, her daughter's salvation is why she is there. And, and so she has put that on herself. It does, was she responsible for it, right? It, it, is there some backstory, you know, to, like Professor Sorum said, you know, this, this shame aspect, what is she ashamed? What has happened in her past that, that you know, might lead her to feel so much shame because of, because of that? And so then bringing that to today, you know, how, how can we as people of God in the church of God, can, can we take that same approach with someone to say, I'm going to take their salvation upon myself. And I'm going to bring that to the Lord. Lord, have mercy on and help this, this person. I'm going to pray for that person. Uh, you're, you're taking on a lot of, um, uh, what do you want to say? A lot of responsibility, a, a burden there, right? When you take someone else's problems, their issues, their guilt, their shame, and so on. And I'm going to carry that, but I'm going to carry it to Christ. I'm not the one who's going to fix it, but I'm going to carry that for you to Jesus. I think there's a really neat, you know, inclusivity there, that body of Christ, the house of Israel, okay, the house of God, the family of God, here is a woman that is Jesus grafts in. Now, how do we, okay, all these branches that God brings in, how do we take that upon ourselves too and say, I want to bring that person and their suffering to Jesus. And at the same time, I feel that for that person. And I, it just becomes my, my heartbeat to bring that to Christ over and over and over again. Right. And our confidence as we do so is that um, the mercy is for everyone, right? I mean, absolutely everyone, as you said before, Jeremy, whoever, whoever it is, whoever it may be, whatever their background is, we do, we bring their concerns to the Lord, um, knowing that his mercy is for them too, even as it is for us. Um, Great. Um, how about uh, ideas for um, structuring the sermon or uh, theme ideas? Um, anything you could suggest for preachers, ideas that you are working with or things you might have uh, figured out at this point? Daniel? I don't know if it's a rut or not, but lately I have just been so comfortable following the flow of the text and especially in a story like this as less like dramatic as it is and so like shocking and what comes out of Jesus mouth and yet her insistence to push back on it I think you have a, a beautiful opportunity to follow the flow of this text and maybe a way to to set it up um, would be to emphasize uh, as you as you really begin this text, you've got disciples and Jesus, and they're all you know. You could sort of assume this is like happy happy campers and very comfortable environment, and then you have somebody, the different person, who steps in, like a visitor to your church. You know, and do they belong here? Is Jesus help for them? Is this big, overarching question, and to follow the drama of this incredible need and this throwing myself because I am, I am so desperate and um, such a beggar and with such determination in front of people, you know, then makes the stark contrast all the more there when Jesus says no, like, no, who would do this, you know, to pass by somebody when you can help them and there's calling and calling and calling, help me, help me. And you don't say a word. I mean, this, this all, you're like sucked into it. Like, why doesn't he, why doesn't, what is this? And who is she? And what is he going to do? Everybody's brought into this 
ultimate moment. So it's very engaging. And then to see the way Jesus uses these words sort of against her as a way to like put up a, it's a false wall, but he still builds it. And then she comes and, you know, knocks it down with her insistence, right? So there's a, there's a great tie-in for our engagement to the text to see how Jesus is like putting these things up and what is about to come down um, because we have the same thing that needs to sort of topple away in our hearts as we find ourselves repeating the words of the Canaanite, we're the Canaanite woman, um, so to speak. So I think there's a big, there's a big reveal that comes out at the end um, with the, the great faith opportunity. So I don't know if that helps, but there's something of a flow in the text that is maybe it's a it's basically like a long gospel, but um, it's a really neat story to follow. And I think people would sit. I'd, I'm sitting on the edge of my seat reading this text. You know, how can he say that? Wondering those questions. And maybe if I can, if I can just interject this, like I don't know if I would do this as a pastor, but <laughs> or maybe I could or should. You could you could take on that like first person role and be like, I thought about saying to you that you have great faith today, members of this congregation, the flock of God, but I can't based on your performance. I'm not going to do it. And if you put this false wall, I just said, based on your performance, you know, based on your performance, you're not a part of the congregation. I, I can't say you have great faith. Peace be with you. And does anybody raise their hand and object? Does anybody come and say, yeah, but that's not it. It's mm -hmm. not just about you sent to this house or the children's bread. There's still crumbs that fall. And I demand this be by grace and by faith in Christ and, and not my performance pastor. You know, this is, this is this thick atmosphere of our own orientation to the gospel um, where we kind of get back to ground one in such a beautiful way with the Canaanite woman taking our, taking the lead. Um, by God's grace. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Jesus challenging uh, her and us. Uh, you know, what is this relationship based on? Is it is it mercy? Uh, it, it it finally is, and yeah, that's what she has that bold faith to confess. Um, so yeah, following just the contours of the narrative, uh, maybe you want to yeah bring the story to life for your listeners. Uh, there might be times uh, depending on how you do it pausing to kind of talk about or unpack part of the, the story as you go along. Uh, okay, great idea. Uh, others, uh, other ways to, to preach this text. Alan? Well, for reasons I already mentioned, uh, just either in the theme or in the parts, uh, a universal savior delivers his universal grace one person at a time, just getting the, both that universal nature of the gospel and just how Jesus wants it delivered very personally, very individually. Great. So emphasis bringing that universal and personal aspect out, both of those things. Um, Jeremy, any ideas? Um, I, I just, if you wanted to even take it a complete, if you wanted to, you didn't agree with the, the theme or something, you want to take a different direction. Um, you know, you, you could definitely, I mean, this is definitely a faith thing um, that individual um, aspect of it, that Jesus came for me, helped me, and so on, but to, to, to lead our people to see that what, what does a determined faith look like, and, and, why, and why, does, why does Jesus call her faith megale, right? Great. This is, this is a mega faith. This is not a small faith. It's not a good faith. This is a mega faith. 
what, what is it about that? And, and to lead people to see who this Jesus is and to see his, his determination to get to her, to see his love, his the knowledge of who he is um, and why he came and holding out his grace for her to see that's, that's the kind of faith that God wants. It's not the faith of look at me and how wonderful I am. Look at the faith, look at how much I've accomplished. It's you know, the, the faith that, that God craves is one that just grabs onto Jesus' feet, help me. The one that grabs on, you know, runs up in front of him and bows down right in front, you know, have, have mercy on me. That is what a determined great faith is. So, um, yeah, there, there was, as I was thinking about it, I was like, man, is there some kind of like determined, I don't know if you would use the word dogs in this, um, in your, in your theme at all. Right. But determined faith for comes from desperate dogs or I just, there's that, mm-hmm. that desperation in there. And I, I know we don't want to, you know, but I, I remember, I think it was one of my, sem- uh, one of my seminary professors was referencing, um, professor Jeske. I think it was professor Jeske saying that when, you know, you read a, a sermon theme, in the, in the worship folder, um, you should know exactly what, what sermon text you're preaching on that day. Uh, so not kind of like this, it could fit a, a thousand different ones, but a very specific one. Do you, do you, do you bring in the language that Jesus uses there and dogs and desperation and the, the faith and so on, and, and maybe craft something around that? Um, because if you're, you know, we're really honest about it. We were the dogs too, that, that need the crumbs from, from Jesus plate from his table. Um, and yet at that same time, I think what's cool about that picture then is you have the dogs. Um, really, she becomes a daughter that day. You know, a, a, she's, she's a part of the house, the house of God. They're grafted in. So that how that, you know, that Christ brings her to, you know, brings her to that level and with his salvation. Good ideas. Uh, uh, further, further thoughts uh, might be helpful to preachers. Daniel? Um, earlier in the podcast, we brought up a whole bunch of the context and surrounding chapters, which I'd reiterate again. But one of the things that you see in the uh, across the board from chapter 14 and then through chapter 15 and afterwards is bread. And I'm, I'm a little bit struck by it. I don't know if the theme would be something like crumbs for Canaanites, you know, but the way that you could you could highlight like there's the feeding of the 5000 and you've got all these basketfuls left over. I mean, are the disciples still carrying one of those around? Are they still licking their fingers because of all this plenty that Jesus supplied for all these people? And yet here is this woman. And of all the illustrations Jesus could use in this gospel text, he's got this, um, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she's happy with the crumbs, like you could almost picture her going back to the open field and just happy to dig her fingers down into the grass and to take the crumbs out. You know, there's a there's something of an overarching narrative you could maybe use through this, um, through th- these chapters, if you had time and wanted to take your listeners through Matthew's got all of this on the table that people were bringing, not, they weren't just satisfying their bellies. They're bringing all their sick and they're injured to Jesus in chapter 14. And they're just touching the edge of his cloak and they're healed. There's miracles happening all over the place. And here comes one person, one person, there's a very short line, right? One person long is a Canaanite woman with a demon possessed daughter. Does she have access to the feast at the table? You know, and 
to take that tension and unpack it, you could probably walk through the sermon in two parts to, with this crumbs for Canaanites to recognize, you know, the kind of the penitential side of the Canaanite, a celebration, an alignment in our hearts with her beggarliness. How did the Apostle Paul come to verbalize and, and express he's the chief of sinners? How does she know that I can be on the floor of the house of God, but as long as I'm in that house, as long as I'm in that house, there's crumbs that fall there. So the alignment of her repentance, you know, the, the um, expression of it, that God works in our faith, and also that, that second part, the fullness of the joy, that crumbs are enough, crumbs are enough, because this comes from God, and what he gives me is what I need, and uh, I have the help of God, I go out with his blessing. So I think there's a nice, uh, you know, like bread language you could use throughout. Right. Right, the crumb crumb imagery that kind of ties things together. Uh, all right, well, thank you very much uh, for sharing your thoughts for the benefit of preachers. Uh, we'll wrap it up there for today, but the Lord bless you preachers as you go forward, uh, working with this text and all the gospel that's here and proclaim it. God's church is a church for all people. <laughs>